1 Timothy we finished up last week, and um, if it was tempting not to jump into this text last week, because this text talks about a grandmother and a mother, and it would have been perfect for Mother's Day, but I just really wanted to put a bow on 1 Timothy and start and not get out of order. I guess it's that OCD part of me, but um, this is going to be fun. Just a few things before we jump right into our text about these two books. So 1 Timothy was written about five years. There's about five-year gap between 1 and 2 Timothy, and that's about that time. Now, when Paul wrote the first letter, he was on missionary journeys, he was traveling, and he was really clear about his purpose for writing that letter. He wrote that letter intentionally to Timothy so that Timothy would know how to conduct um, or how to teach the church to conduct themselves in uh, the house of the living God, which is the, the pillar and the buttress of truth. So he wanted to talk to Timothy. He wanted um, Timothy to get the idea of this is what the church needs to be healthy. And so it was very practical. It was very specific with that purpose in mind. Now, he was, he was free when he wrote that. Now, what's interesting about 2 Timothy came some five years later. This is actually the very last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul, written letter in our Bible. So this is the last letter that he wrote before he was, he was martyred. And he wrote this letter from inside a prison in Rome. And, um, and so, uh, as, if you can imagine, he knows his life is coming to an end. But he's not writing now to Timothy so that necessarily Timothy can take this and specifically apply it to the, to the church as a whole. He's, he's writing to Timothy as one who knows his days are short. He's writing to Timothy as one who knows... Um, him like he's a father figure. And so you see a very warm, or we see a very warm um, tone to this letter. And um, there are some things Timothy was going through. We're going to talk about some of those things today, and we actually will see some of those things as we go through all, all through this book. But as we start out, as it applies to this text, I want to ask you a question. You can just answer in your own head. You don't have to do it out loud. But I just want to ask the question, are you faithful are you faithful? If, if someone was to look at you, would they describe you as a person that is faithful, a person that is steady, a person that is enduring, a person that is reliable? I know if you're like me, I think, well, faithfulness, that's a, that's a tough one. I talked to a lot of people this week about this, this, this topic or theme of faithfulness, and immediately people want to go to the faithfulness of God, which is where we should go because that's the picture of faithfulness. And yet as we read the pages of Scripture and why we come to church is we are in, in some instances being equipped to become faithful and, and more faithful in our, in our lives and our walks. Now, faithfulness is something that can apply to a lot of things. We can talk about faithfulness in marriage. Um, it's, it's interesting. I've got, I've got three weddings this, not, I'm not involved, I'm, I'm officiating three weddings this summer. <laughs> that could sound weird in, in some contexts, you know, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, uh, three weddings this summer, and it's fun to work with couples and to see couples in the, in the engagement process, and, and then ultimately at the wedding ceremony, and then in the honeymoon period, and it's just, it's fun. And one of the things that we, Julie and I, when we do premarital counseling, that we really try to focus in on is the, the energy and the effort that you as a couple put into your relationship now before you're getting married, it's going to be even more so important for you to put that same energy and to do those same special things 
post-marriage, especially post-honeymoon period marriage, however long that is, um, down the road because you want to remain faithful in your love for one another. But we know, I mean, we see it that that faithfulness can sometimes fade over the course of a, a marriage. Uh, same thing with parenting. Parenting, you have your young whippersnapper, number one child, and it's like you, you read all the books and you listen to the podcasts and you get the advice and your attention's all about this one child. And um, the, the picture that we have in our home is that child number one, when Liam was first born and we dropped his binky on the ground, we would pick the binky up and we would take it to the sink and wash it off and put it in bleach and think about putting it in the dishwasher before we put it in his mouth. And then we think, oh, let's just throw it away. Let's give him a brand new binky. We put a new binky in his mouth. By the time Lauren, number three child, came along, it was like it falls on the ground in the yard. You pick it up, you wipe it on your, your leg, and you just stick it in your mouth. Yeah, she'll be just fine, you know, it's just that kind of, that kind of idea. Um, maybe the attention of detail that would go into, you know, the parenting can kind of be the same way it can be with schoolwork. You know, you could start off faithfully, that, and I used to hate when my teachers would say, but it was true. You, have, you all have A's right now, and you start off in school, and as you're getting going in school, um, you have a plan to succeed, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this A all throughout the semester, but then life happens, and there's hiccups along the way, and then as you kind of go through the semester and you get towards the end, your study habits, I mean, maybe you're not as diligent at following through with those plans and the grades maybe slip, and so your faithfulness as it relates to your your classroom activities may wane a little bit. Faithfulness comes in all different areas of life, but ultimately, and what we're looking at today is faithfulness in our, in our walk with the Lord, um, our, our faith and our, and our relationship with the Lord that comes through, through Christ. And it's very much true that, that our faithfulness can, can wane over the course of life. And in our text today, what we see and what, what Timothy was dealing with and probably one of the, the, the concerns that Paul had for Timothy was that Timothy was dealing with some things that instilled in him some fear. And that fear had some, some results that he was worried as a, as a father figure and as a senior pastor, he was worried for his young pastor, Timothy, um, how this fear was going to affect him. And, and really, when we think about faithfulness, faithfulness in our call, faithfulness in a lot of different ways, especially in this context, um, the number one enemy to that faithfulness is, is fear. Fear is, a, um, fear is a killer when it comes to faithfulness. There was a catastrophe that took place um, from October 1942 to 1943 in India. There was a, um, um, a, t- a time in that year where between two and four million people died of starvation. Um, but it wasn't because of a lack of food that caused the starvation. It was because the government, the government acted upon fear rather than upon on facts. And see, they, they were concerned that the Japanese would invade them like they had done in Singapore and Burma. They were afraid of this invasion. And so their reaction was to, to take all of the food and hoard it in Calcutta, which was deemed a more, um, a more defendable position. But in doing so, and in, in, in kind of play, placating to this fear, they took all of the food from all of the people that really far, or harvested that rice. They put it in Calcutta and uh, the sad part of the story is that the Japanese never invaded, and the outcome was two to four million people died of, of starvation. And it wasn't because their crops weren't good. It was because, it was because they, of the fear that the government had, and that was a, a tragic thing. But fear is a chief enemy of faithfulness, and we see, it, um, we see it paralyzing people in our own lives, but we also see it paralyzing people in the pages of Scripture. Just a few examples of fear in the Bible. Fear was caused by the Israelites, 
to grumble and complain against God about how um, um, during the time when Pharaoh's armies were advancing, fear froze the armies of of Israel in the time of of Goliath. Fear caused the disciples to wake Jesus on on the boat in in the midst of the storm. Fear caused Peter to deny Jesus um, at his last days and his passion. And uh, fear has been a culprit in, in many, many Christians' lives throughout the ages. And it's, a, it's affected their faithfulness. It's affected their ability to, to be obedient to the call that God has put on their lives. And really, it's also robbed them of, and this is such a, a, a watered-down word today, um, because different factions will take the word abundant and put their own spin to it. But it truly has. Our fear um, it robs us from the abundant life that Christ came, that Christ promised in John 10.10. Good news is, well, if there's good news to that, uh, it's comforting to know that there's great men and women all throughout history that have dealt with fear um, and who have accomplished great things in their relationship with the Lord despite their, their times of struggle, their times of struggle with fear and their lack of faithfulness. Really, many people who ultimately proved to be faithful along the way were, were tempted to give up. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but I do know that a lot of people are tempted to, to give up in, in many different areas of faithfulness that we talk about, but especially in their walk with, with the Lord. And so in Timothy chapter 2, or, or the second book of Timothy, Paul reveals um, a little bit of this personal makeup of, of Timothy. And uh, he sees him as his son in ministry, and he poured into his life, and he worked really hard to, to nurture and develop this man. And he did that really for, for one reason. And you see this throughout the entire theme of that book. Um, you see that he was preoccupied, Paul was, with the, the forward movement of the gospel message of Jesus. He was preoccupied with that message not being thwarted in any way, shape, or form. And so he wanted Timothy so badly to not fall prey to the fear that he was dealing with, the timidity that was creeping into his, his ministry and his life. So um, I don't know if you've ever felt inadequate in a task in life, um, in ministry, um, if you've ever feared a failure and it's gripped you like it's gripped so many, if you've ever felt a passion or the flame and that fire that you had once in, in, in the past, flicker and almost go out. Some of you may even think it might be out, but um, I wouldn't say that it is. We'll get to that in a moment. But if you've ever found yourself really spiritually dry and just trying to, to get through, you are in the right place and you're in good company because that is, that is the picture that we get with Timothy um, and as Paul is writing him this book. So let's just open up. Um, if you're there, we're going to read the first seven verses together. And it goes like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God 
which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. As we, as we look here, um, and if you're taking notes, you'll see this. Um, I want to point out four truths that will equip us to overcome that paralyzing fear that can take place in, in, in life. So we overcome fear and we remain faithful, firstly, firstly, by reassuring one another. Reassuring one another. The, the, again, the nature of this letter is really uh, intensely personal. personal. Paul loved Timothy as a son. He loved him as a, as a friend. And um, he's, honestly, he's, he's painfully aware of some of Timothy's shortcomings. Um, and before he tells him to, to go on and rekindle this, this, um, this faith of his, he begins with reassuring words that strengthen him. And we see, we see him speak to this reassurance in five different ways. There's really five things that speak here that Paul says to the reassurance. And the, and the first one is he, it's through gratitude. It's always a good thing, too. If you're about to bring a, a message to someone, it's always good first to, to express gratitude, especially if the message you're going to bring is one that they really need to hear and maybe one that's hard to hear. Start with gratitude. And he says, I thank God as I remember you. It's always encouraging to know that someone can appreciate what God has done through you and is thankful for God for you. Paul was grateful to God for Timothy, for his ministry, and for his friendship. He's very grateful. And it's always nice to know that others are, are grateful and thankful for you. Um, when, when, was it, when was the last time? When was the last time that you thanked God for someone that he's put in your life at some point in time to be an encourager to you? Is that a regular part of your your your? Christian life where you're thankful or grateful for the people he's put into your life? Um, when was the last time you actually told that person or told those groups of people? Um, hopefully it's something that happens normally, but it's always good to have that, good to have that reminder. Gratitude is, is key. Um, second one here is prayerfulness. Prayerfulness. He says, I thank God as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Paul was really quick to let Timothy know that he was making intercessions for him on his behalf. One of the most encouraging things for me personally is for you, and I know that you pray for me, and I trust that you pray for one another. This is one of the best um, benefits, I believe, to our, our growth group ministry, our small group Bible studies that meet, and is the prayer that takes place one for another, so central to the life of us as followers of Jesus in this in this difficult world that we, we live in. And just even this last week, my, my primary study day for the sermon is Tuesday. I don't answer phone calls. I don't take appointments. I don't really do anything but just get into the Word and dig through dig through the passage for the coming week. And uh, this last week, it was 9.15, and I just remember vividly, and I say this um, um, not too kooky is, but I felt like levitated from my, my chair at 9.15 this last Tuesday morning. And I just knew, I just knew at that moment that, that I was being prayed for by one or some of, of you. And I'm so thankful. It means so much to me personally that that takes place. And, I, and I, I really hope that's something that we are doing one for another. Andy said it earlier, prayer is central to everything that we do. And that's what Paul is doing here for Timothy. He's reminding him that he is in prayer for him. Uh, Corey Tenboom, who I brought up a couple times because I've been reading some things on her, um, she was key in helping the Jews escape the, the Nazi Holocaust back in World War II. And as it relates to fear and as it relates to prayer, she said this. She said, 
Um, I prayed to dispel my own fear until suddenly, and I do not know how the idea came to me, I began to pray for others. I prayed for everybody who came into my mind and into my thoughts. People with whom I've traveled, those of whom I had been in prison with, my school friends of long ago. I do not know how long I continued my prayer, but this I do know. My fear was gone. Interceding for others had released me. One way we can be reassured by others is through our prayerfulness. Uh, I put Julia, Julia up there because um, Julia is one of our many prayer warriors, and, and she, every single, just this last week has started and is going to continue at 7 a.m. every morning um, at the historic Yackel Community Church, which is like um, a driver pitching wedge from here as the ball flies that direction, just a few blocks. Um, is the historic Yakult Community Church, 7 a.m. in the morning, she shows up, she treats it as if it's her job, because it is her job. As, as a woman of prayer, she shows up to pray, and it's open for any of us, really anyone in the community, just to show up, no agenda, but just to have a season of prayer at that place. And um, I'd encourage you there, as well as Sundays after church, it's a place just to go and pray. And if you've never been there, I'd encourage you just to go, just to go check it out. It's, it's a... Um, it's a worshipful atmosphere in a, in a pretty sacred place. So head over there one of those times. Okay, so gratitude, prayerfulness, these are ways we can reassure one another. Also, simply put, just through our empathy, through our empathy, through our understanding. He, he says, Paul, I, I, as I remember you in tears. Now, we don't know what the tears are exactly that, that he's talking about. This could be tears that um, were related to them parting ways earlier. It could be tears of joy. It could be tears of commissioning. We don't really know all that specifically. But anybody who has spent any any dedicated time really caring for others deeply, whether it be in ministry formally or informally, you know that it can sometimes be incredibly taxing and, and, and hard work and stressful to pour yourself out to other people. Jesus wept for compassion for those that he loved and, and anyone who had taken up their cross to follow him. And it's in times like that, as he thinks of those people, that it drives him as well to a place of tears. And, and so... It's important here for Paul to Timothy to be empathetic towards him. Paul had himself shed his own tears, and he understood where Timothy, where Timothy was, and he understood what Timothy was going through. And it's encouraging to realize, I think, that others understand what we feel and what we were going through. And so empath- empathizing is one way that we can reassure others. Fourthly here, the f- fourth way is through, is through fellowship. He just basically says, I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to spend time with you. It, it really had been some time since Paul and Timothy had been able to visit with, with one another, and, and um, yet time and distance had not diminished their friendship at all. And I'm sure we all have friends like this where we don't see them for a long time, but when we get together with them after a great period, it's like we, we have never been, a, never been apart. And, and with Paul here facing facing certain death, he now tells Timothy that it would sure be nice to see him again. It'd be really nice to, to see him again, to talk together about all the things that God was doing. Now, while Paul, Paul, we, we all think of, and we should, of this great man of faith and a pillar of the church, um, we, we can forget that he also was a human, and he also had emotions like the rest of us, and even like Timothy. And, 
And uh, even though he wanted to strengthen and he wanted to encourage Timothy, and that's why he was there as a father figure talking to him, he himself needed to be reassured. He himself needed to be strengthened. He needed to be comforted at his time of need as much as Timothy did. And I think I, I want to say that because a lot of times I will talk to, to people and I feel myself, there's, there's those that I feel compelled just to, to, say, to say something of encouragement to, to them, but you know, they're they're older than me maybe, or they seem so solid and I just, you know, just don't feel like it's my place to go to them and, and uh, say something encouraging like that. I just want to encourage you, um, if you ever have that prompting to say a, a word of encouragement or word of empathy or anything to anyone, um, act obediently on that Holy Spirit prompting. Um, I guarantee you, if, if they say, I wish you wouldn't have said that, you can just say, not my fault. It was my pastor that told me to say that and blame me. But I guarantee you won't have that said to you because we all need that. And, and especially those people that sometimes we, we assume, we assume have got it all together or assume they would need um, a word from a lowly folk like myself. Um, it's, it's silliness. So the last one here, the last way that we can be reassuring is just through, through blessing. Basically, Paul says, you're a blessing to me, Timothy. You're a, you're a blessing. Um, I find great joy in this. And, and so it's always encouraging to know that you have been a blessing to other people. It's always encouraging to know. Paul wanted Tim to know that he counted his blessings, and Tim was among those, those accounts. I don't know, what does it do for you when someone comes to you and says how much you've blessed them? Uh, I think that would hopefully be an awesome encouragement to, to, each, to each one of us, that, that we would hear that from somebody else. And this is what Paul wanted to do in Timothy's life. He wanted to encourage him. He wanted to strengthen him. Uh, he wanted to help him get out of this pit of despair and reassure him with, with um, the fact that he is very useful in his own life and in the kingdom of God. So, Number one there, this big, big picture with these five things, we overcome fear. We overcome fear and remain faithful by reassuring one another, verses three and four. Verse five, we overcome fear by reassuring one another and by remembering what Jesus has done in our lives, by remembering the things that Jesus has done in our lives. It is, it is easy to be faithful to God when we are always remembering the faithfulness of God. It's easy to be faithful to other people when we're remembering their faithfulness to us. I just think of the songs that we've sung this morning. So appreciate coming together to sing worship songs together. There's power in the blood. How great is our God. Lord, I need you. How great thou art. All of these things are helping us to remember the faithfulness of God and our need for his faithfulness in, in our lives. And as people, we have this tremendous capacity say this gently, but we have this tremendous capacity to forget things. We have this tremendous capacity to forget, especially forget things that are of value. We forget that we are not where we are simply because of our own efforts. We forget that others have done great things in our lives. We forget what God has done for us. And when we forget what God has done for us, we're tempted to believe that God has never used us or never been there for us in the first place. We're kind of, where is God? when we forget these things. Paul points Timothy back in his own life that demonstrates how God's hand was with him in ministry in two specific ways. And he says, he says firstly, in sincere faith. He says, I'm reminded of the sincere faith, Timothy, that is, that is in you. Now this word sincere or genuine uh, is literally translated unhypocritical. Unhypo when I look at you, Timothy, 
When I look at you, when I observe you in your, your life, what I observe is someone who has a, uh, an unhypocritical, a real faith. You're, you're the real deal, Timothy. And even though Timothy, he was timid at times, he was fearful in his, in his personality, and it led him to doubt maybe even his own salvation, as some of the commentators reflected on. Um, but Paul is reminding Timothy how important it is that, that he remembers and he knows that he has a sincere faith. And that would be a huge affirmation in overcoming fears to have someone come along and just say, man, I, I just, and there's a number of you I know that have this gift of, of exhortation and encouragement within our church body. Um, but even though it continues on, he doesn't just point to Timothy's sincere faith, he points to Timothy's godly heritage. He says, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice uh, Timothy has been super blessed to grow up with godly, a godly Christian home, and specifically these godly women. And I just paused for a moment because I was talking with Pastor Joe about this earlier this week, and and um, he he just was he was just I wanted to kind of generalize this and just talk about you know godly heritage, men and women. And he's like, but just pause and just think: Is there any of us that don't have? a godly woman that's just steadfastly and faithfully been in our lives. And I, I, just, think of, I just think of the people in my life, the women in my life specifically, who have, who have um, just been faithful, who've been faithful. Um, sometimes women get the, the um, bad rap of just being emotional, and I hope I'm not the only one that's ever heard this, <laughs> but, um, you know, being emotional and wishy-washy. But yet when I look at the women of faith in my own life, my own house, I just see these, these women who, it's sometimes it may seem like they're just plodding along, but they're plodding along in faithfulness and they're steady. They love the Lord, they serve him, and they, they lay a foundation. And that was another thing that really impacted me is I think about faithfulness. And I ask that question of all of us, are we faithful? Are we faithful? When we think of that, sometimes when I think of that, I think how that personally affects me and how, how much of a blessing it is if I can be a faithful man of God. But but in this context, faithfulness is so much more than just about me. When I'm faithful, and when I'm faithful patterned after the faithfulness of God, it just lays this huge foundation for those that come before me. I've heard of stories even this morning of reconciliation in families. And as I hear those stories of reconciliation, you know, it can maybe be 10, 12, 15, 18 years of, of, of distance, but it's the faithfulness of some in the body of Christ that's, that are there, and it, it provides a soft landing place for those other people when the storms of life finally get them to their knees and they have a place to come because there's been faithfulness through women and through men in their life. How important godly heritage is, and Paul definitely wanted Timothy to remember. He wanted him to remember his, his mom and his grandma and how there was a godly heritage that they were brought up in. And, and that's just a great challenge for every single one of us, whether we have biological children or whether we, we are an Awana, Awana teacher or a Sunday school teacher or a coffee maker or, or whatever else. We have kids running around and they need to see faithfulness from all of us. And they do see it. They do see it in us, even though they may never say it. All right, so we have, we have this reassuring of one another as a way that we can overcome fear and remain faithful. Also, we have the remembering what Jesus has done in our life. We come now to verse 6, and we overcome fear and remain faithful by rekindling the gifts, rekindling the gifts that God has given us. 
He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Doubt, fear, it has this this tendency to squelch the flame, to squelch the flame of passion. Um, The fire for action um, or inaction, it can can um, come in and, and seem to fan that flame in the wrong direction or squelch that flame. Uh, Paul here, he writes to Timothy, and, and um, Timothy, we think, is probably in his early to mid-30s at the time of this writing, and he tells them that if he's going to assume the responsibilities of, of, of leading this church in Ephesus, and maybe even greater responsibilities, as Paul checks out of this earth, then he must keep that fire and that passion for the Lord, for ministry, he must keep that alive. If he doesn't keep that passion alive, then there's great things at stake for that. So the, the word here, the word here to keep ablaze or to kindle afresh, it, it really, it literally means to keep that fire not just alive, but burning hot. Almost one of the commentators used the word white hot. This white hot flame is alive. And, and so um, I want to pause for a moment and just just look. This isn't directly from our text. It's more topically from Scripture. I want to look at four, four ways to keep the fire burning brightly within you. Four ways that you can fan the flame of the faith in which God has given you. What are these four things? I don't have these in your notes. You could just jot them down. The first, the first way you can keep this ablaze and keep this fire growing is through a, a heart of thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving. Thessalonians 5.8 says, Give thanks in some circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, no, it doesn't say that. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in every circumstance that we're in. Give thanks, for this is the will of God. This isn't the suggestion of God for us. This is the will of God that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, no matter how rosy or, or how dark, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. And um, I can just say that this is, this is a, a beautiful gift if you can, if you can capture, cap, cap, take hold of this. <laughs> if we can take hold and be thankful in all circumstances and obey this, we would be far ahead at keeping that, that flame um, going and that, those coals white hot. The second one is um, repentance. This is one that doesn't, I don't think, in our fast-moving culture, doesn't get, doesn't get um, enough play. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Sin and selfishness, more than anything else, quench, quench our fire. More than anything else, uh, it can do this. When we start to thank, thank God for, for things, um, we are reminded that it's God's kindness that leads us to a place of repentance. And when repentance starts to take place in our life, um, we come humbly and we pray like David did in Psalms 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a repentant heart. Thanksgiving, repentance, or ways that we can fan the flame. Um, thirdly, we can, we can do it through just simple surrender. The act or the discipline of surrender. If you want to put a different spin, you could use the word trust. Just reminding ourselves of 
the fact that we have a faithful and trustworthy God. Trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. Again, when you, when you look at Scripture and you read the pages of Scripture, there's no partiality. There's no segmentation. There's no compartmentalization of our faith. It's not trust in the Lord with some of your heart, but trust in the Lord with all of it. And do not lean on your own understanding, but on his understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he is going to make your paths straight. And so sometimes in life, our flame, it just gets to this place where it flickers because we, we lose perspective. We, we too easily lose perspective on life. We stop surrendering to our desires and our will and others' wills for our life. And we stop trusting in God for all things. But the beautiful truth, and hopefully you're reminded of this every single week, is that he does have this under control. He is sovereign He does have a plan for your life, and it is the best case scenario. It might not be your idea of a best case scenario, but like a a righteous and good parent, he knows what you're going through. He knows and can, he could. Some of the worst things in my life, I think back and I think, why didn't the Lord rescue me from the consequences of that or keep me from going through the things that I went through? And it was simple, because I would not have gotten to this place where I can lean on him and learn and trust and all of these lessons, I wouldn't have grasped them if he didn't lovingly allow to go through some of that stuff. So he does have this plan. He's faithful. He is true. And he has made himself available to you. Rhymes. I I was going to scratch it because it was too corny, but it works. He is faithful and he is true and he made himself available to you. Um, He's good. He is kind. And we can trust him with everything. It's not like that's a a big step of faith to surrender to the all-sovereign God who gave up his son for us. The fourth and the final way to kind of fan our flame, and this is almost a repeat of the second point, but I think it's worthy of repetition because um, we see this all throughout Scripture, is um, to identify, to know what our identity and where our identity is is placed. Uh, Galatians 2.20 Pastor Doe preached on this a few weeks back. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. This isn't my life. I no longer live. But this life that I do live now, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Some of us are here this morning, and um, you can look back and you can remember a time in your life when things were different than they are right now, where there was a, a, a fire, a passion, something burning in your life and in your relationships. You can look back on those things. But something happened. It could have been a grievance in a church. It could have been a failed relationship or a lost marriage or a a crushing financial blow. It could be a wayward child. Uh, It could be any, any kind of stumbling blocks that can come in the way of life. Um, maybe that bad experience is an event, but more likely it's not one bad experience. More likely it's just a slow and steady drift, a slow and steady departure that can take place. And uh, maybe you, you're, you're bitter because you didn't feel like God had answered your prayers, and there is distance that is there. But to you this morning, through this letter to Timothy, through this letter, I can say confidently that God is calling each one of you to rekindle the flame, rekindle the flame, to fan the embers back into flame. And we can think they're out. Just a few weeks ago, I went to a motorcycle camping with my brother-in-law, and we went to a spot um, up 
near Trout Lake, and we just pulled off and, and camped off the side of a Forest Service road, and we made a fire, and, and um, that night when we went to, went to bed, I went to put the fire out, and you're supposed to put this out, but we were kind of near some snow, and so I went and got a big shovel of snow and threw this shovel of snow on top of the fire, and um, when I got up in the morning, um, and so some, I don't know, six or eight hours later, there the snow was melted away and there was still a smoke. I thought there's no way that this fire could get away from a little bit of, from all the snow that got thrown on top of it. I thought it definitely would be out, but it was easy once we pushed the water away to just to, to rekindle the fire. And I know that for some people, they're, they're thinking that that flame is definitely out, that some event or some experience is, is operated like this big big uh, shovel of snow on their on their heart and their faith is 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 gone cold but it is there um, because it's not something that can go out on your own efforts or even through dry periods of time because this is a gift that was put in you not by your own work this is a gift that was put in you by the holy spirit sealing um, of the holy spirit at the day that you gave your life to christ so rekindle that fire the flame keep it burning um, and, and you're not going to give in to fear because verse, tell, verse 7 tells us, if we're, if we're obedient to us, that fear is not in keeping with the Holy Spirit that's been given, given to you. And that leads us to our last point. We overcome fear. We remain faithful by this, by relying on God's strength. It's good that we get to rely on his strength and not on our own strength because he gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. Of all the things that we can be reminded of this morning, this is probably the the most important truth, that we are not alone. We have been given the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit. And this is not a spirit. It's not a spirit of fear. Um, It's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of self-control. The strength of our own wills, it will always ultimately, if we're focused um, on our own strength, it's always going to lead us to a place of doubt. It's going to lead us to a place of fear um, because there's always going to be someone bigger, someone stronger, someone better, circumstance that seems insurmountable. If, if we can go about this life and we can go about it in our own strength, in our own energies, if we can go about it, then we can pretty much guess with certainty, <laughs> that it's probably not of the Lord. It's probably not of him. What is not of faith is not of God. That's why uh, uh, Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith is so key. Being faithful is so key. I feel like that is one of the, and I appreciate how Andy said it, this, our building project. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insurmountable project, and yes, it will fall flat if the Lord's not in it if the Lord's not in it. And that's exciting because you pretty much know that you're stepping out in faith because we can't map everything else out with this. Um, instead of giving into fear, which is inconsistent with the very nature of the Spirit of God which was put in us, we're told that we have been possessed by His Holy Spirit, one of power, one of love, and one of solid and sound judgment, one of self-confidence. So, that being said, we, we overcome fear, we remain faithful in this text by those four truths, by reassuring one another, by remembering all that Jesus has done in our life, by rekindling the fire and by re- relying on God's strength. I'm just going to close with these four quick applications for us. I would just ask, if you're in a growth group, you'll get a chance to break this down a little bit more. If you're not, I would just say, take one of these four and really 
really engage it this week. Whichever one, whichever one the Lord puts on your heart the most, um, apply it this week. Now, the first one, the first one is simply to be an encourager. We're talking about reassurance. Be an encourager. For, for some depraved reason, well, that's the reason, because we're in a depraved world, but for this depraved reason, um, we tend to be more intrigued by seeing others fall than we do by seeing them some grow and seeing them succeed. But this, again, is not in keeping with the Holy Spirit in which has been entrusted to us. And so we are called to support one another, to reach out and encourage one another. So look around. You can look around this room. You can take note of those that, that maybe need an encouraging word or a note or something for, from you for, for them. Be an encourager. Second one, be mindful of the past. This is a really great one. Be mindful of the past. Look back on where you were. Maybe even five years. I mean, it's amazing to me how much God does in, in a short period of time. But look back in the past. And if you're honest, uh, you've been in difficult times before. Um, and God has always been faithful in those times. We had a great men's breakfast yesterday, and I won't call guys out by name, but it was fun to hear guys share the different stories about how God has been faithful time and time again where the door seemed closed and he was faithful. He showed, he showed up. And he always does that. Even as Timothy was encouraged uh, to recognize which God had done all, in all of his life, um, this morning God is calling upon each of us to look at what he's done in our lives. And for us to remember that who he was and how he had been faithful in the past is the same God who's going to be faithful tomorrow because he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that's great encouragement. So be mindful of the past. Um, a great chapter in the Bible to read if you want to help jog your work your reminding muscles, your remembering muscles, is Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole, book, the whole chapter, chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Um, be active in the present. Thirdly, be active in the present. One of the best ways to, to overcome fear is to be active in the present and, and really to take steps of faith forward. David was, was fearful when he had to face Goliath, but what did he do? He still stepped forward in faith. He still trusted in his God. He didn't think about his own tininess uh, compared to the hugeness of the giant Goliath, but he did think about the hugeness of God to the tininess of that giant. He thought about his God. And so stepping out in faith, it takes action, not only in the way that we overcome our fears, but we do it by exercising, exercising those things. In one of our elders' meetings, one of the elders said this last week, um, he said one of his greatest fears is when that Holy Spirit gives the prompting for whatever the case might be, to do whatever. Um, he, he wants to respond to that because he's, he's, he's so concerned that if he stops responding to the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit that's within him, then that voice will get quieter. That voice will get distant. And then before long, you're in a place where it does feel like there's distance up there. But be active in the present. Step out, step out in faith. Be obedient in, in this. And then the fourth application point is to be reliant, to be reliant on the Spirit, to be reliant on the Spirit. Uh, it's a spiritual realm where we walk by faith and we walk not by sight, where we trust in God, where we don't trust in our, ourselves. We, we aren't at a place where we calculate our success based on what we can do, but we rather we calculate on what God is doing and what can do as we yield to his Holy Spirit. So just this morning, I know you're, you filled in the last fill in your blanks, everybody's checking out, but just, just hold on a minute. 
we'll just let's just we'll just wrap up here. But um, if you're feeling defeated this morning and succumbing to the empty threats of fear, just I want to just challenge us: trust in God. The Spirit of God that was given to you at the moment of salvation was not a spirit of fear. It's not one of timidity. It's not one of, of apprehension. You've been given the spirit of the living God, and he is in you. He is in you, and he will give you confidence. He will be the one to lead you to places that otherwise you would not be able to go on your own. And some of you are facing things right now, could be in a whole different slew of areas where you're just crippled by fear, and you need to be reminded that God has already gone before you. Nothing takes him by surprise. Take his hand, surrender to his will, trust in him because he's given you his spirit to enable you, to equip you, to empower you um, in life and in ministry.